All right, well, we're beginning 2015 with a new series called Yours, simply called Yours. And this series is intended to be a fresh start, as it were, for, for all of us as a church and for us individually, especially in our relationships with God. Whether you're here and you've walked the Christian way before, or you're here looking at feel like from the outside looking in, considering the claims of Christ, uh, many of us want a fresh, a fresh start in our relationship with God because even though we maybe believe that He loves us, a lot of us feel more distance than we want to in our relationship with God. Sometimes we feel more distance than love. Whether or not we are walking with God or not walking with God, sometimes God feels really abstract. Wherever you're at in what you believe or don't believe or some combination of that, God's love does not feel real to many of us, and it's not a daily part of our experience. And sometimes what's needed is a, is a fresh start, starting over, starting afresh, and that is what this series is for. Um, we want to know God's presence throughout our week, but we're not sure how. We want to experience the with quality of God's love and relationship, but we're not sure how. Um, and my hope is that through this series, we will be able to offer our life to God, our, our kind of as, as a week, week in, week out, year in, year out, that our lives will be devoted to God, but also that our church can be devoted to God. So assuming that God loves you, and, and many of you believe that, assuming that God exists and that he loves you, how does one enter into the love of God? How does one enter into that love, assuming that it's there and that it, it exists and it's there for the taking? Like, what do you do to enter into that love? And what would you do if you wanted to disengage from the love of God? What would you do? Like, what would your, what would your action list be if you wanted to disengage from the love of God? So, I want to answer that question with a very recent story. Last night I was playing, or I was walking through the kitchen my youngest, almost two-year-old daughter uh, saw me, and she gave me a, an invitation to come sit with her. She was playing with plastic princesses, and playhouse, playmobile, you know, little tiny beds and little tiny love seats, and she wanted me to come play. And so she made an entreaty for me, and she, sometimes she'll slap her hand on the ground, and she'll say, sit down. <laughs> She wanted me to sit with her, and, and, uh, and she invited me into this play that she was doing. And so we were playing little plastic princesses and putting them to bed and putting them on love seats together. And it was, you know, she made an invitation. This space is yours. These plastic princesses are yours. My time is yours. Come and sit with me, Dad. Let's have some time together. Um, and then in a few moments after that, Olivia joined us. And, you know, things got more complicated, <laughs> things got more intense, and then at some point, Mona, our youngest, got triggered, and she went from that invitation space of come on in and sit down to a very different posture, which was a posture of mine. And she took one of those plastic princesses, and she said, mine. And she also says something called, stop it. And hey, let go. I don't know if you've ever experienced this from a toddler. But 
it's actually a very uh, healthy thing in their development is they have this idea of some things can be possessed and I want to possess this and there's a mutually exclusive relationship between me possessing it and you possessing it and so instead of saying yours I say mine yet go and as a result Mona isolated herself see she she invited me into her space, her toys, and, and there was, she went from isolation to connectedness. She went from isolation to enjoying the love of her father. But then she got triggered and she felt threatened. And then instead of saying yours, she said mine and she isolated herself. Now we've all seen this happen and it's kind of funny and it's kind of cute, but we've still got that in us. We're past that stage developmentally, but we've still got that spiritual instinct to say mine with the things that we really care about. It's my Friday night. It's my 20 bucks. It's my youthful body. It's my circle of friends. It's my life, it's my story, it's my career. It's my abilities. I got myself here with hard work and determination and some luck and some help, but I'm not just going to like give this up. It, it's, it's mine. And we can get that way with God, can we not? When, when, when he draws near, we're like, hey, look, in the abstract, I totally love you. And I'm totally with you. And, I, and I'll receive your, your life. In fact, I'll take some free God stuff, Right? Because you can, God, you can afford it. I can't. Like, I'm on a budget. I'm barely getting by, barely paying rent. But, like, you own a, th you know, cattle of a thousand hills, Christianese, right? So, like, so like you, you have free God stuff, so I'll take that. But, like, when it comes to, like, actually giving you, actually devoting to you my time, which is limited, my, my money, my, my body, which is very personal, my abilities... My relationships, my story, that's all my stuff. Now imagine someone loves you and you love them back. Maybe it's a romance, maybe it's a new friend, maybe it's someone you love creating art with. Now how would you go about entering into that love that was offered to you, that shared friendship, that shared creativity? Well, you'd want to... You give your Friday night, right? To enjoy that friendship, to enjoy that romance, to enjoy that new band that you just joined. You give up Saturday morning brunch time to, to create with them, to be with them. You would schedule them in for various occasions and it would lead to more and more commitments. It may lead to an engagement period. It may, may lead to putting wedding ceremony in your calendar. If you really love that person, there would be no begrudging, right, of that time. It, you would want to. I, I want to buy you flowers. No, 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 I, don't, don't stop me from buying you gifts. I, I love you, and you love me, and I want to participate in that love. Imagine the other way around. Imagine, no, I totally love you, and I totally know you love me. I just can't fit a wedding ceremony into my calendar right now. It's just so many things going on, and... I can't really spend time with you. 
I, I, know, I know that we're married, but like making love with my body, that's really legalistic, don't you think? I mean, imagine someone loves you, you love them back, but yet your time is yours and not theirs, your, your money is you, yours and not theirs, and there's no combining, there's no intermingling of life. Very clearly you'd send the message, actually, my life is not yours. And I don't care for your love. And I don't even need you. And so, mine. That's the way to disengage from love, actually. You can speak love all you want, but all you have to do to disengage from love is to withhold what's most precious to you. To withhold time. To withhold relationships. To withhold abilities. To withhold money. To withhold your body. To withhold your very life. Your very story. The Lord Jesus reached out to us and said, Come unto me, all you who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, those who have disengaged from the love of God, and I will reconnect you with the love of God. You see, yours, when we come to Jesus and we accept his invitation, we do not do that in the abstract. We could, and we could totally accept the love of God in the abstract. But that's not how human beings enter into a relationship, isn't it? Human beings enter a relationship of love with the stuff that is most important to them. And so in this series, we're going to talk about each one of these things, one at a time. How do we offer our time to God? How do we offer our relationships to God? How do we offer our abilities to God? And Joel Radke will be teaching on that in a couple of weeks. How do we offer our money to God? How do we offer our bodies to God? How do we offer our story to God? The next six weeks, we're going to talk about how we move in a grace-filled, love-filled way from saying mine to God to saying yours to God. This will be an opportunity for us to enter into the incredible love of God. When we are trapped in the corner of our own isolation, when we have gotten what we wanted but missed out on relationship, it is a hopeful thing to hear from God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You love God with the stuff of your life, the strength of your life, the heart of your life that is symbolically represented with the things that are most precious to you. What if, uh, just imagine with me what 2015 could look like for you and God, for us, our church and God. What if we were able to say yours to God about our whole life, not just about specific things, but about our whole life, that our whole life could be a prayer, even a one-word prayer, simply yours, 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 not only over Sunday morning, not only over our relationships, but over our work life and the mundane moments where we so want to feel the love of God. What if our prayer to him was yours? This is yours. My suffering is yours and, and this traffic jam is yours and, and my stress is yours. What if that was our life? Those are the moments where the love of God begins to seep in and deepen That's where the roots of our connection with God grow and deepen. That is what God is calling us to. 
a whole life devoted to God. But these next six weeks, we're going to talk about the footholds into that kind of a life. Because if you don't get a foothold in offering your life to God, the rest of it will not follow because that's the way our life works. So let's talk about the first thing on the list. It's likely our most precious commodity, and it's our time. Is any part of your time devoted to God? How do you feel about your time? What do you say to God as you hold time in your hands? I know if you're anything like me, you feel like, I don't have enough time. There's like this limited quantity of time. And there's, there's so much that I have to do. There's so much, there's so, many, so much that squeezes on my time. I barely have enough of it. If I could stretch it and make it more, I would, but I can't. And so you feel squeezed. Um, We want to get as much out of our time as possible, right? We don't want to miss out, and we've got to make ends meet, and we've we've got these demands and obligations we've got to meet. We're trying to get the most out of our time. And we're always, you know, checking life hacker and how do you say, and how do you make shortcuts and Google Maps tell me the best way because I don't want to sit in red, I want to go in green. And so how do I save time? How do I get the most out of the small little tiny bits of time I have? Our employers want to get the most out of us. They're always trying to get us to be more productive. And so we're under the gun. We're under the gun. And here are some signs that we're under the gun. Have you ever been driving and you're like, you know what, I got to send a text or I got to just look this up real quick and I'm kind of, that kills people, but we all do it. Maybe you're like, I've made a vow not to do it and I pull over and I'm a good person. Okay, fine. You don't do it. The rest of us have done it. How about... Have you, ever, have you ever had huff and puff Wi-Fi frustration where you're like, do you have Wi-Fi that works here? Because, you know, you're under the gun. And you've got your little machine that you could be using to, like, make the most of your time, but, like, you're in huff and puff land because the Wi-Fi doesn't work. Or you're, you're at the grocery store. And, oh, my goodness, there's five people in the line at Target or whatever. And you're like, come on, what's going on? You're like, five minutes. And you're like, (laughs) we're under the gun. Another way of saying that is we're under the whip. We're slaves. We're trying to get the most out of of our time, and other people are too, and so we're under the whip. What happens when you become under the whip? You become masters, too. Become slaves, and you become slave drivers when you're under the whip, right? So, have you ever done this? Someone emailed you to get something. Someone who can get something from you emailed you, and they're like, hey, could you just kind of do this, pass this along, connect me with this person? And you're like, yeah, 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 I'll get there. I'll put that in my reply now folder, and forget about that folder. But then you've emailed someone to get something from them, and they haven't emailed you back, and you're like, why did that person not email me back? Meanwhile, you've got like 10 emails that you haven't returned. Has that ever happened to you? You're like, I'm really frustrated that person didn't email me back, 
But meanwhile, the person that I don't have anything to benefit from, I didn't email them back because I didn't have time. We become slaves, become slave masters when we're under the whip. So what happens is we commodify in our, in our press to get the most out of our life, we've commodified ourselves and we've commodified other people and we become functionaries. We stop becoming human beings, we start becoming human doings, become functionaries, which is another way of saying units of energy that supply and consume resources. So forget about being loved, forget about being sons and daughters, forget, forget about being people. We're basically consumers and units of energy that produce or consume in some varying quantity. And so we use other people, not as people, but as units, as units of energy. You can help me get my thing done. I might have to help you get your thing done. And this is being under the whip. This is being dehumanized. This is being broken down. So when the nation of Israel was under Pharaoh's whip, they were units of energy. Back when the whole nation of Israel were slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh, Pharaoh thought of them as like, basically, I have a project, you are my minions, and, and you are going to get done what I need you to get done. You're not people. You're not beloved. I don't care if you're beloved or not, quite frankly. You can get something done for me, and so I'm going to crack the whip until you do it. And what had happened to the nation of Israel is that that happened to them externally, until it happened to them internally. And that's how, it ha that's how it works. The nation of Israel was discipled into slavery. They were made slaves, and then they began to think and operate like slaves. And when God rescued them, he didn't just have to physically get them out of Egypt. He had to spiritually get them out of Egypt. He had to personally get them out of Egypt. And he was going to do that in part through the Sabbath. You see how Exodus 20 starts out with God saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I brought you out of the dominion of slavery. And then he would give them the Ten Commandments, which was a victory cry. Come out not only physically from Egypt, but come out spiritually, become human again, become holy again. Look and act like sons and daughters, not to earn my approval, not to earn my love, but as a way of entering into my love, as a way of entering into the identity that I have given you of free, as free people. And so um, one of the ways that he did that was through the Sabbath. Um, so um, he has designed us for the Sabbath, and he has designed the Sabbath for us. Let us read uh, about the Sabbath. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
Now notice something here. The beginning of the commandment is, the, is, is what? You remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But the end of the command is this. The Lord God blessed the Sabbath day by not doing any work on the seventh day. And so God blessed the seventh day by resting. Now you are to bless the seventh day by resting. What is this bit about resting in order to keep something set apart? How does not doing work make something set apart, make something holy? Well, let me tell you about a very precious item in our home. It's a Christmas tree skirt, and it's purple. Laura made it with her own hands and sewing machine. And she sewed on it two stars, one for her and one for me. And under those stars are four individual little presents that she sewed onto them, one for each of our kids. And there's a little Christmas tree sewn into this tree skirt, Christmas tree skirt, um, this little tiny Christmas tree made out of Hawaiian decorations because we spent one Christmas in Hawaii visiting her grandparents. And it is a very special, personalized piece of cloth in our home. Now on that cloth is represented what our family means. We come together and we make memories and we love one another and we enjoy each other. ExxonMobil is not authorized to sew their logo onto that Christmas tree skirt. White Castle is not allowed to install advertisements on that Christmas tree skirt. National Lewis University may not advertise themselves to our children on that Christmas tree skirt. Because a Christmas tree skirt is not where commerce is done. The Christmas tree skirt is not where people are advertised to as consumers. The Christmas tree skirt is not a place of manipulation. It is a symbol that our family loves one another and is simply here to be with one another. Our family table is the same way. It is set apart from the world of commerce. It is set apart from manipulation and agendas. Our family table is a place where we come together and we set ourselves apart from working at the family table. We set ourselves apart from manipulating at the family table, or at least we try. And we come together as parents, as husband and wife, as sons and daughters, to love one another and to be with one another. And it is set apart because we leave things that we would engage in otherwise. We are not just consumers. We're not just workers. We're not just units of energy. We are beloved ones. And that is what the Christmas tree skirt represents. And that is what the family table represents. And God made the Sabbath for the same reason. God created what Abraham Heschel called a cathedral of time. A special place, a palace for sons and daughters to enter into. Not as human doings, but as beloved human beings that were created to be loved and created to love. And he invites us into this palace that he has designed and he invites us to that intersection of heaven and earth to dwell with him and to be with him. And it is not a place where we do stuff for him. And it is not a place where we come to manipulate him. It is a place where we come to be loved and to worship. It is a place where he comes to love and serve us and be with us. And it is a devotion of time to enter into Sabbath. That is why it is not a space. It is a time. God created it for his people so that he could love them. 
And Jesus makes the invitation for us to enter into that Sabbath. He made a way through his death and resurrection for us to enter into the rest of God. So, it gets real. It's not just in the abstract. We devote our time to God by giving him the first fruits of our week, by showing up here to worship. That is one of the first ways that we say yes to the love of God is we come to the place that the Lord has set apart at a time that he has set apart and we say, my life is yours and I'm here to be with you. I'm not here to get something out of this per se. I'm here to devote my time to the Lord. This is not, you do not come here to church to make me happy or the staff happy. That's not our role. You are coming here to enter into and enjoy the loving presence of God. You are here to devote your life to Him. I'm here to devote my life to Him by giving Him the first fruits of my time. And let me just say, as your shepherd who prays for you and who is accountable to God on your behalf, I want to encourage you to be here on Sundays and to serve here on Sundays because serving here makes worship possible. Um, for your own soul, I don't speak as the attendance police. Please don't think of me that way. I'm here as your, as your shepherd, as a messenger, to let you know that God loves you and invites you here, and invites you to come here as, as, as often as you're in town. Now you're all kinds of statistics as a pastor about, uh, about trends. And, and what I hear is that, you know what? In today's world, people come to church like once or twice a month and just come to expect that. And I hear that and I'm like, okay, like, I'm not trying to pretend anything, but can't we just devote our Sundays to the Lord? And, and I want to speak that aloud, again, not as the Excel spreadsheet of keeping track. I do not keep track. Please don't feel like you need to tell me when you're going to be gone or not, Okay. <laughs> This is about your relationship with the Lord. And I, as your pastor, want you to be filled with the love of God. One of the ways that we enter into being filled with the love of God is devoting something precious to Him. And I know that Sunday morning is precious to you. It's a foothold, though, to the rest of our week. To the rest of Sunday, we are not human functionaries. Devote as much as Sunday as you can to simply resting and allowing others to rest, too. I was thinking of this and realizing that on my way to, you know, pray and prepare for today that I went to Starbucks and I do that a lot on Sundays and I'm even thinking, are there, are there ways that I can let other people rest on Sundays? Is there a way that I can, can enter into the heart of this command and, and let others rest? And again, I know many of you need to work on Sundays and there's freedom for that. And many of you need to uh, ask others to work on Sunday and there's freedom to, for that. But as much as possible, I want to invite you to enter into the love of God by giving Him your Sundays. Beyond that, I want to invite you to give Him the rest of your week by setting aside a small portion of the day, maybe 10 minutes or more, just to be with God. And maybe open up a psalm and pray the psalm to God and devote your entire day to Him. And let that grow into whatever the Lord grows that into. When we give God our first fruits, we give Him our life. And then it becomes easier, it becomes more natural 
for us to offer him all those mundane moments, you know, when you're doing the dishes or you're doing the Excel spreadsheet, you're at work, you're at home. Our life is filled with a lot of work and a lot of mundane moments. Offering him the first fruits where we enter into the love of God allows for us to intermingle our lives with God and then open our souls and our lives to him on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute moment. Let me read you a quote about the Sabbath from Abraham Herschel. He who wants to enter the holiness of the day must first lay down the profanity of clattering commerce, of being yoked to toil. He must go away from the screech of dissonant days, from the nervousness and fury of acquisitiveness, and the betrayal and embezzling his own life. Friends, the Lord God invites us to stop embezzling from our own life, to stop putting ourselves under the whip, and to start putting ourselves under the cross, where we will receive the love and the rest of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you're visiting today, I want to encourage you to be here for the rest of the series as we talk about other things that we can say yours to God so that we may present our whole life to Him, so that we may devote ourselves to Him because His love is overflowing for us, my friends. Sons and daughters of God, I devote you to Him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.